0: I hate the smell of Eliod blood, but sometimes it is unavoidable.
1: This is Allie Daniels, and you're listening to Antimony. Episode 16, The Conclusion, Love and Anger.
2: That's where we should be landing uh, Reykjavik Airport. We must be headed to another private airstrip. Don't know why our trip to Iceland would be any different from the others. But it
0: is different.
3: Neith, Delaney, Josh, Rachel, and I, plus Dr. Gregori and Dr. Kaleo, were together in the cabin, along with two well armed Gregori goons. We were prisoners. We weren't in handcuffs, but we didn't need to be. Where would we go, even if we made a run for it once the plane landed? Everywhere outside of Reykjavik was sparsely populated, and it's not like any of us were equipped for long-term survival outdoors. Still, a glimmer of hope burbled inside me. The part of me that wanted answers was about to be gratified. It made no sense, I know, but I took some smidgen of pleasure thinking that I might die but just before i went lights out i would think oh now i get it or that's what this was for we already knew we were getting close to the spree sanctuary that had sent the distress video although we didn't know whether or not any Elliot were still there we were also certain that iceland was where the watchers were imprisoned
0: this trip is very different
3: He looked like a contented cat, deciding what to do with the wounded animals he had trapped between his paws.
0: We are landing at Zosansk airstrip, built by the Russians and officially closed at the end of the Second World War. Neith, explain for your less logifolistic companions why the name of the airstrip is significant.
2: The letter seta equal to Z or Z in English was abolished by official act of Icelandic parliament in 1973... It had fallen out of use with a few exceptions. Some older people's names, the name of a school, and the title of one of the newspapers. The airport's abbreviation would be Seda's ZZZ,
0: making it officially non-existent. However, as you will see, it is still very much in operation.
3: Dr. Grigori, what are we doing here? I tried to strike a tone of mild curiosity, heavy on indifference... He wet his skinny lips with his pointy little tongue.
0: You are the young scholars we have most carefully groomed. The ones with abilities that, in the end, have proven most favorable to us for this mission. You tell me what you are doing here. Let us see if your education has been successful.
3: I looked at the others, silently asking their permission to start. I got a small nod from each. You're taking us to release the Watchers... The place they have been held captive is on this island, and you want them released. You think we have the ability to do that for you, and for some reason we would be willing to do that, even though it sounds like a very bad idea.
0: Very good. Except for your assessment. You have learned by now that judgment is a relative task. One group's bad is another's life-giving.
3: Why do you think we'll help you?
0: We know you. When provided the opportunity and the correct circumstances, each of you will put yourselves above the others, despite your little group's superficial feelings of camaraderie.
3: I felt my eyebrows rise. The others looked surprised as well. Don't
0: be surprised. Zia also had this characteristic of self-interest. She could not keep details of your extracurricular activities to herself when given the choice to give us information or forfeit the one thing she wanted most in life. What's the expression? She sang like a bird. You tortured her. She wouldn't just tell you that. True. It took effort to get information from her. When we finished, we did promise to reward her for her troubles. And we are keeping our word. She is perfecting her sound, working with an exacting vocal coach, though she is not in Milan. The final performance in her short career will be, shall we say, earth-shattering. Why do you want to hurt us? Your feelings are not our concern. But why should we not take advantage of your weakness if you offer them to us? How you respond is your concern, perhaps even your choice. For example, Neath has allowed himself to feel affection for Zia, and now he suffers the consequences of those feelings. Feelings are a waste of time, a distraction. In the end, it is your actions that define you.
2: But wasn't it the Watcher's feelings that got all this started? They felt attracted to human women and desired life with them on Earth. If they hadn't followed their feelings, they would have stayed in their place. Everything would have been fine. And, actually, you wouldn't exist. Josh
3: stopped, probably realizing that none of us would. Without the Watchers and the Rebellion, there would be no Nephilim, no Elliot.
0: Is that not the irony? Something you label as evil... The cause of many very bad things in the world results in good as well. You do think your own existence is good,
2: do you not? Of course. But that's the wonder, right? That even out of something bad, something good can arise. Isn't that the great point of resurrection? Of grace? Whatever you want to call it? That doesn't mean setting the Watchers loose is a good idea.
0: I return to my earlier point. The Watcher's actions were what to find them. Perhaps your action, in setting them free, can vindicate them. After all, if the end of the story is that they stay imprisoned because beings on one side label their actions as evil, then history will judge them so. But if, on the other hand, they are set free, overturning the sentence originally placed on them, would that not prove the original judgment was false? That doesn't necessarily follow. In the end... It is your actions, not your feelings, that will be judged. And you will, when the moment of decision comes, take action to help us.
1: Our final journey.
3: We got into the two silver Porsche Cayennes that were waiting when we stepped off the jet and zoomed off along a smooth paved road toward an ice-covered mountain in the distance, Between the mountain and us was another mountain, smaller than the icy one, dark brown, the color of dried acorns and craggy. A wreath of smog hovered over it like a halo on a saint who had gone off the rails. Deep green moss-covered rocks covered the ground on either side of the road.
1: The volcanic ash that has periodically covered this part of the island makes for rich soil. She was talking like we may as well enjoy the scenery as we traveled. She gestured out the window on our right-hand side. See the steam? Hot springs. Iceland is covered with them. Most of the energy humans produce here is geothermal, derived from hot water that courses underground. Fortunately, they have not figured out how to transport this energy efficiency off the island. Such a discovery could make an unfortunate dent in the use of fossil fuels by neighboring countries. Nope. More
3: Grigori anti ecological propaganda. I tried to tune her out and think about what Dr. Grigori had said about why we would help. He said they knew that each of us, under the right circumstances, would put ourselves above the others. I felt my face redden as I realized what this meant. They knew about my refusal to share my antimony with Delaney. Maybe they knew I had lied to her about not having enough. I felt ashamed. Then again, what had the others done? Each of them also must have done something that made Dr. Gregory so cocky. I started thinking about Josh and how he was always so sure that he was right, how his opinion counted for more than the rest of ours. How Rachel seemed like she enjoyed that we had all been dependent on her for the intimacy she got for us from the lab. How Neath always made me ask for an explanation of whatever fancy word he used, as if he liked watching my confusion while I tried to figure out what he was talking about. How he always preferred Zia to the rest of us. I bet his little secret had something to do with her. Delani showed more compassion to her rat or any animal than she ever did to any of her actual friends. I shook my head. Snap out of it, I thought. This is exactly what they want you to do. They are hoping to divide us, turn us against each other. I looked at sweet Neath, so gentle and so sad over Zia's departure, and even more sad thinking she had suffered, and how he always just wanted what was best for her. Josh was so funny and thoughtful and smart. Why shouldn't his opinions count for more when they were so often right? Rachel always watched out for us, and I'm sure giving antimony away could get her in big trouble, and Delani had stuck with me the whole time, when her animals probably were kinder to her than any of us, including me. I blinked back a tear and resolved not to give in to the temptation to put myself first. The road under us had turned to crushed red gravel, but we still rocketed along, a plume of dust rising behind us. The smell of gravel always made me carsick, If I had to throw up, would they stop? Could I make a run for it? Where would I go? The landscape around us looked more like moonscape. The mossy green rocks had given way to dusty carmine, the color of dried blood. Ahead of us, the mountain appeared closer, but between it and us was desolate, hard-packed earth. I focused on looking out the front window and pretended the bounces and jerks of the drive came from being on an amusement park ride, instead of inside a speeding vehicle taking us to a horde of evil angels. The Tower of Terror had nothing on us. Breathe in, breathe out, I thought. At least no water was in sight. When we got closer to the brown and desolate-looking mountain with its grimy halo, we slowed, and I could see that it wasn't deserted at all. Workers emptied buckets of silvery rocks into steel ore cars on a rail. Smoke belched from a stack. An iron contraption emptied large containers of silvery rocks onto a pile. Workers scurried over to the pile as soon as the container was emptied and filled their buckets, then loaded another car.
0: Our newest and most efficient Antimony mine.
3: Beyond the mountain of Antimony, just like the Book of Noah said... That's where the Watchers are imprisoned.
0: Recently opened and already producing a sizable yield. Do not look too closely at the workers. You will not like what you see. Antimony burns the skin of beans not suited to its consumption. Look at you, so concerned. But you would not trade places with them voluntarily. If we had no other plans for you, I would give you the opportunity to test my assertion. Their families are grateful for the small income they receive. You are grateful for the product. All but Neath cannot survive without it. A small price, discomfort for workers with no other options. Great advantage for us. You feel superior in your judgment of me, but in your secret thoughts you agree.
3: I saw a pink face, marked with scars like overblown roses, look up from behind a bucket as we rolled past. The driver hit the accelerator and we left the Antimony mine behind. After about 30 more minutes, the hard-packed red landscape and gravel road ended abruptly. Our vehicle stopped right at the edge of an immense rock fall. The driver opened our doors, and we stepped out onto stones the size of loaves of bread. Ahead of us, the stones got bigger, the size of end tables, then sofas, then boulders taller than any of us, The SUVs shifted into reverse and roared off, leaving us teetering on the rocks. The wind howled. I turned the collar up on my thin jacket and hugged my elbows. We stood there, keeping our balance and shivering against the blowing wind for only a minute when a huge slate gray vehicle with oversized tires crunched up next to us on the rocks. Land Rover Defender was emblazoned across its grille. Although it looked powerful, I wasn't sure the Defender would live up to its name if we did what the Gregories wanted us to do and release the Watchers. What would the Watchers do if they got out? Toast us to a crisp in our not so tough after all truck? A tank couldn't keep us safe if these Rebel Angels lived up to their reputation.
2: Super Jeep. I wondered how we would get over these rocks.
3: The driver got out and propped a stepladder next to the vehicle's side doors. The tires on the jeep were about five feet high. One of the goons motioned us to get in, and the jeep started to roll over the rocks. I thought of the Mars rover and hoped we wouldn't flip over if we hit a rock at the wrong angle. Who would find us out here? Then again... How had the super-jeep arrived so soon after we had been dropped off? Maybe abandonment wasn't what I needed to be afraid of. The jeep lurched and bumped its way over a large hill of brick-red boulders. When we reached the top, I inhaled sharply. In front of us was a valley of boulders that led to a huge field of ice and snow, a glacier that stretched as far as I could see, The top of it formed a clear demarcation with the sky. The world might end right at the top of it, except I could see the peak of the mountain we aimed for poking up behind its silver-white expanse. The jeep picked and growled its way across the boulders and burped to a stop outside a small wooden shack perched at the edge of the ice field. A guard ushered us out, and a tall man with broad shoulders and thick blonde hair came out of the shack. The temperature here was much colder than when we got off the plane. Just above freezing, the man motioned us to come into the shack. The warmth of the building made me feel a little better, but the snowmobile suits hanging on a rack did not. Put these on. Gunter will assist you. The blond brute, who must be Gunter, looked at each of us and handed us black snowmobile suits, boots, gloves, and helmets and motioned for us to put them on. Dr. Kaleo and Dr. Grigori went to a closet at the back of the shack and pulled out two sleek black leather suits that fitted them perfectly. Hurry up! Gunter led us outside, where another vehicle had pulled up with a fleet of snowmobiles. Each was driven by a black leather outfitted driver wearing a black helmet and reflective goggles so we couldn't see a face. The drivers revved the snowmobile engines and Gunter escorted each of us to a snowmobile and indicated that we should get on and hold on to the driver. He gestured to me to put my helmet on. I did, and pulled the face shield down. Being inside the helmet made me feel better. Its thick padding quieted the roar of the snowmobiles and made me feel safer, although I wished I had more than a Gregori-employed stranger to hang on to for security. Gunter raised his arm like he was signaling the beginning of a race, and we roared off toward the summit of the icy hill. Rivulets of water ran beneath us. The glacier must be melting. The combination of speed, ice, and flowing water about six inches deep made my stomach lurch and my head feel a little woozy. I repeated to myself, never alone as I clung tighter to the stranger, speeding me toward a certain danger. When we reached the crest of the hill, I noticed that the ice had become solid. The glacier field stretched out ahead of us about another half mile, then was interrupted by a large crater about one hundred yards in diameter. Thin strands of steam rose from its dark maw. So this is what a volcano encased in ice... Looked like. I breathed a sigh of relief when I realized the volcano must be dormant since the ice around it was completely frozen. Despite the wisps of steam, the magma in the middle must be fairly recessed and calm, not to be heating up any of the ice we were zooming across. We reached the lip of the crater. The driver reached around and plucked me off the back of the snowmobile. I pulled off my helmet. The sun had come out, and the glare off the ice was blinding. I squinted, shielded my eyes with my hand, and saw that everyone else was also standing by their snowmobiles. Suddenly, the snowmobiles all revved and reversed, then spun around and roared off in the direction from which we had come, leaving the four of us alone with Dr. Kaleo and Dr. Grigori. Apparently, they didn't think we would need a return trip anytime soon. The snowmobile roar reduced to a drone, like a small squadron of bees in retreat. Then silence. Then I realized it wasn't silent at all. I thought I could hear the roar of air in my own ears, like when you put earplugs in and your own breath sounds as loud as thunder. But it wasn't my breath. It was coming from outside of me. My first instinct was to put my helmet back on and regain the muffled quiet, Instead, I listened and heard a deep rumble and grinding, and below that, the strangest sound I had ever heard, a keening and moaning, mournful yet beautiful, haunting in its sadness.
0: Can you hear it? Better yet, can you decipher it?
3: Magma? I chose to ignore the deeper and more disturbing sound, I wished I could keep the question mark out of my voice, as if sounding certain would give me the strength I lacked.
0: Yes, magma is the source of the rumble and hiss. As it heats, one also hears a roar that will increase until the sound is masked by the earthquake that will most likely accompany the eruption. But whether one will hear the roar of the volcano or the roar of the watchers when they are freed is a better question in our particular circumstance.
2: What's the whining sound? Is that your precious watchers? Are they crying?
3: I wanted to cheer. Go, Josh.
0: You be the judge. Could be the watchers. But perhaps it is coming from over there.
3: He pointed past the crater's far rim, and we saw it. A small wooden hut.
0: The new location of Spree's Iceland Sanctuary. We decided to relocate its residents here once we found them. Our way of honoring these young Eliud, who will be amongst the very first to see the Watchers released.
3: The sound is definitely coming from the crater. It's the Watchers.
0: So it is, but not for long.
3: You still haven't explained why we should or would help you, let alone
1: how. Give me the rat. What rat? He will smother inside your snowmobile suit. To give him to me. Please don't hurt him. I am not going to do anything to him. I am giving you a choice. Go into the crater, and I will bring your little friend along. Do not go into the crater, and you both freeze out here. Your choice.
3: The presence of Bruce didn't really make a difference. We would all freeze if left out here by ourselves, rat or no rat. But Bruce had proved useful in the past. Maybe bringing him along was a good idea.
2: I'm sure we all want to see what's down there anyway. That's the best they can do? Get down there or the rat turns into a popsicle? (laughs) That does seem lame. At least we know the
3: volcano isn't active. There's only the faintest whiff of sulfur. If this volcano were about to erupt, the smell of rotten eggs would have choked us all the moment we got off the plane. The sulfur smell was tempered by the odor of rock, soil, must, and moss. Okay, one thing not to be afraid of.
0: It is time to make our descent.
3: The wind picked up, and I started to shiver. Maybe going into the crater would provide some relief, at least until the snowmobiles came back or we figured out what to do next to get us out of this situation Dr. Grigori led the way to a ladder that poked the ends of its side rails just above the lip of the crater.
0: Single file. Josh, you first.
3: Neith, you can go last. That way, we'll all be just below you, rooting for you.
0: It should be fine. I'll be facing a wall so I won't be able to tell the height I'm at.
3: Dr. Grigori, what's to prevent other people from discovering where we are? Don't tourists here love these sorts of adventures? Snowmobile on a glacier, climb into a volcano, that sort of thing? What makes you so sure someone won't come upon us while we're in here?
0: Very astute, Kaya. However, there are two reasons no one will discover or rescue you. First, most super jeeps aren't so well equipped to handle the terrain we have crossed to get here. The second, Neath can guess. Whatever the name of this glacier and volcano are... They have a lot of sedas in them. Correct. No longer on the map. Where we now stand is merely a speck of one of the largest ice fields in Europe, formerly known as Zizabras.
2: Descend. All right already. We inched
3: downward. The ladder felt secure enough, but I was nervous trying to find the rungs with my bulky snow boots and big puffy mitts on my hands. Thankfully, about 50 steps down, we reached a large rocky shelf. A railing had even been installed along the edge so we could look down to where the next rock shelf jutted out. Another ladder connected the level we currently stood on with the one below. The bright sun shone down into the crater and illuminated the hole. I could see that the crater walls narrowed in like we were climbing into a funnel made of red rock. It was definitely warmer inside. Dr. Gregory and Dr. Kaleo removed their gloves and undid the zippers on their snowsuits and nodded to us to do the same.
1: How far down do we go? Three more levels. We must keep going so we do not lose the light. Good thing the volcano isn't active. Volcanic gas is heavier than the air we breathe. It would force the oxygen out of the air around us, and we would suffocate.
2: You're not making us feel better. It's going to be okay.
3: I wasn't so sure. Our descent to the third level was the longest. The walls had become quite narrow, with not much space around us, maybe about five feet. I tried to remember what we had learned about volcanoes in science class. Were we in the throat of the volcano, the part where the ash, then lava spews out? When we reached the bottom of the third ladder, the space opened to a much wider chamber with a low ceiling and a wide, firm floor. Small torches were affixed to the walls, and they burned a smoky light that flickered and made our shadows lengthen, then shorten, then lengthen again. It looked like strange black expanding and shrinking creatures were dancing all around us. I could hear the watchers keening, a hissing, the drip of water onto rock, and low rumble and the whoosh of the torch flames. The gale brewing above us outside the volcano was completely shut out. I was reminded of the burial chamber on Orkney and how only the sound of my own heartbeat and breathing were perceptible, as if the outside world didn't exist. I allowed myself a deep breath through my nostrils. I thought if this was going to be my last experience, I should experience it fully. The combination of scents was incredible. The tang of sulfur, the comfort of moss, the heady vapor of gas from the torches on the walls, the smell of ice crystals that must be passing above the volcano. And then a scent so beautiful, I let myself fall into it. I focused on it. Let it fill me, the scent of sunshine, the first snowfall, the first crocuses signaling spring, summer rain breaking open a heat wave, a bushel of just-picked apples. I ached to know what it was, and everything around me went black. Mm -hmm. The watchers wailed as the archangels walled them off inside the stone chamber, Their multicolored wings, covered with eyes that had glowed with opalescence and gold, were folded down behind them. They covered their faces with their lissom hands. Heavy chains affixed to shackles clinked as their shoulders shook with their weeping. Then, as the last stone was put into place, the sobbing stopped instantly. They looked up as one, and their eyes changed appearance from reddened and teary to cold blue steel. Their leader, Shemihaza, spoke. Let us take an oath. We will be freed before the judgment. Our offspring will come to our rescue. Then we shall have vengeance. We shall destroy and build once again on the ashes of ruined humanity. The enemy shall regret that he chose them over us, Denied
2: us our right to use the pathetic, weak, merely to our benefit. Swear.
3: The watchers reached their hands toward the center of the circle they formed. Their chains prevented them from touching one another, but still they spoke in unison. I I swear. swear. The sound reverberated through the chamber like the sound of an earthquake but nothing moved. The four archangels looked down into the tunnel of stone that led to the Watcher's prison. Michael stretched his hand toward the tunnel, and flames leapt high within the mountain, filling the passageway to the prisoner's entrance. There was no scent, no ash, just heat.
2: The Watchers are contained.
3: The other three nodded solemnly. Gabriel spoke. You wish to say more.
2: I do not question the plan of the Almighty, but yes, I want to add, for now.
3: The mountain rumbled beneath them, and the archangels took flight.